All right. Okay. Cool. Well, you got my show notes. We'll talk about Omni Outliner. We'll do listener questions and we'll aim for around 30 minutes. And, you know, if it's quicker, longer, that's okay. All right. Rolling. We're rolling. I take 30 minutes between sentences. I know. I know. I know. Mark's like, come on, man. Don't don't make me edit this thing that much. <laughs> Mark, just leave that in. That'll be that's a talk show style oh. opening right there. Oh, okay. All right. You're listening to the Omni Show. Get to know the people and stories behind the Omni Group's award-winning productivity apps for Mac and iOS. Music. I'm your host, Brent Simmons. On the line with me today is John Gruber, Omni Outliner user and raconteur. Say hello, John. Hello, John. Right before recording, I actually looked up the word raconteur because even though it's, you know, a well-known word, I didn't really know what it actually meant. I thought it just meant like cosmopolitan guy around town who's cool, but actually it means uh, recounter, like storyteller. Right. Teller of spirited anecdotes, that kind of thing. And I thought, God damn it, of course, that's the perfect profile for John Gruber. A raconteur is the sort of person, number one, it's who you want on a talk show. But number two, it's the sort of person you, you would like to go to dinner with. Mm-hmm. Right? You could go to dinner with anyway. I'd like to think that in a pinch, and again, I'm not, you know, most nights I like to stay home. I'm a homebody. But you know what? In a pinch, if I got roped into going to dinner and it was with a bunch of people I don't know, I'd like to think I could pull my own weight at the table and tell uh, amusing anecdotes that would, ladies and gentlemen at the table would think, that was an enjoyable evening. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true. I've heard you tell an amusing anecdote over dinner once or twice. And yeah, you did <laughs> once well. Once or twice, friend. Once or twice. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny, too, because you know who I think of as a as a classic raconteur would be George Burns. Oh, yes. And you informed me that when you told me that I should say, hello, John, I should say, hello, John. And I don't want to break the streak, so I wasn't going to interrupt it. But it took everything in my power not to say goodnight, Gracie. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of hello, John. <laughs> and there's something to be said for those uh, recurring shticks like that. Yeah. Right. So. Today, we're talking about Omni Outliner. You're a user. What do you use Omni Outliner for? I love Omni Outliner. And it's funny because I feel like there are, there's like two types of apps that you love. There's the type of app that is always open. It's like you're shocked when the little dot next to it isn't underlined in the dock because it's always open. And then there's the kind of app that you don't use every day, but when you need it, you need it. And for me, that's Omni Outliner. And I use it for any sort of thing that in my mind I would call a project that is more than like two or three check boxes. You know, if it's mm-hmm. two or three check boxes, I'll throw it in a reminders app or I'll put it in a notes app. Or, you know me, I always carry a little notebook in my back pocket. I'll just put it on paper. Sure. Yeah. My little notebook on paper is a great comparison. It's actually better than comparing Omni Outliner to other software is I I carry uh, usually like field notes, brand notebooks, something that fits in the back of your pocket very easily. Well, you know, it's a good sign of how busy I am, but if it's, you know, every day, usually every two days, I have to turn the page and I write more stuff down. I, you know, put the date at the top. If I expect that the stuff I'm writing down that I want to remember. Maybe it's a long article. Maybe it's a feature article for Daring Fireball. Maybe it's some kind of software project. Maybe it doesn't matter. But if I expect that it's not something I'm going to complete or cross off or check off or whatever verb you want to use for completing it in the next 24 to 48 hours, then I'm way more likely to want to put it in Omni Outliner. That's something that I'll, I, I know which document I want to put it in. And then mm-hmm. I know it's there and it's, it's no longer right in front of my face. And it's a way for me to organize things that are more complex than one or two items. Interesting. Do you basically have like one big document that you use or do you have uh, multiple separate documents for separate things or how do you organize this? I saw that question and I thought that was a fascinating question because I kind of thought that I was a weirdo for having one like that. I have one called Hacks and that's where I put my ideas for 
scripty type things, things that I do programmatically, whether it's in Perl or Apple script or something on my site and, you know, like a, a automated service I want to write or something like that. And if I know that it's what it, in my weirdo brain calls a hack, it goes into hacks. And so hacks is sort of, I, I would continue using Omni Outliner if I only used it for that one outline. It might be mm -hmm. my longest running one and, and most frequently updated. But for most things, I make a new one and it's organized by the project in that outline. Mm -hmm. Like So for example, I've been writing Daring Fireball since 2002 and I've only moved servers twice. <laughs> That's a pretty good track record. Yeah. It's traumatic. Mm. And I, but you know, you happen to know cause we're pals that I moved last week and I was sort of under the gun because my previous hosting provider joint where I used to work way back when, before they were even a hosting provider, I went to work there. We were working on sort of productivity software on the web. And then we, they became a hosting provider and I left the company, but was on such good friendly terms that when I left the company, I moved my website there because I thought we had done such a good job setting up a hosting service. And the type of server I was on was being decommissioned and I had to be done by Saturday and I was kind of ready to move, but you're never really ready to move. It's like, you know, it's like just like moving in the real world. You know, you mm. think you're ready to move, but all of a sudden when you're boxes are going out the door it's, stuff gets real yeah that was an outline <laughs> <laughs> stuff you need to do and because uh, uh. there's the stuff you know you need to do and then there's the stuff that you discover along the way that you need to do and it's like man you better have a list and you better be able to check off the items and feel like yeah that's done so what kind of details went on that list? Um, you had to move a movable type installation. Um, yeah. And it's funny because I'll tell you the one thing and, and I'll be, you know, be completely honest with you. Like half of the items, the stuff that was just for me, stuff that only I could do because I'm weird and I've set up certain things on my website in a way that only I can understand and only I'm going to be able to fix or make sure still works. Those went into Omni Outliner, but I have a friend named Ryan Schwartz who I met. He was a colleague at Joint back in the days, a professional system administrator. And so he did all of the really nerdy stuff like exporting a MySQL database for movable type from my old server into an interchange format and then moving it to a brand new server that's, you know, uh, this is, we're talking about a 2007 to 2019. So 12 years is a long time in the tech world. He did stuff like that. And so for the shared stuff with him, we used Apple Notes with a mm -hmm. little checkbox. But it was funny. And it's funny. I was thinking about it because I knew I was coming on the show with you. It's funny because I kept thinking with the checklists in Apple Notes that I was sharing with him. I was like, man, I, I would like type key commands that I thought would work to like indent. Uh, but, and it's like, oh, that doesn't work. Nope. <laughs> it's but you know it was nice to have a shared list that we could have and he'd check something off and i could see that he checked it off but for the other stuff it was like man i wish i wish omni outliner had shared notes <laughs> mm. yeah i hear you yeah anything and everything i don't know there's nothing specific you know but it's just little things like hey here's a thing that i know could go wrong you know like i have a thing set up so that files that have dot php extensions in the actual file system when you go to my website you shouldn't see that you should just see whatever the name of the file is and it just ends without any file extension and not see it double check that that works double check that if you do include the dot php it redirects you to the version of the exact same url without the extension instantaneously so you don't even notice anything happened but that way there's no crufty you know file name extensions in the urls I, just dozens of little things like that that occurred to me to double check on my way out the door of the old server. And then there are the things like getting Unicode right that never make it onto the list in advance. Yeah. <laughs> so in your use of Omni Outliner, do you tend to use any of the more advanced features like um, to use multiple columns or text styling rules, that kind of stuff? Or are you, you know, expand and collapse is basically where it's at for you. You know, I definitely use multiple columns. So, for example, my feature list and bug database, which, again, I'm laughing at my own 
<laughs> Procrastination for Markdown is in an Omni Outliner document. So Markdown mm. is, for, I mean, I'm assuming most people who are listening to this know what it is, but it's probably yeah. a little text formatting language that turns things like putting asterisks around a word into italics in HTML. So you can write in plain text, use like little simple ASCII things like asterisks around a word to turn a word into italics, turns it into HTML. Has become fairly popular over the last 15 years. That's an Omni Outliner file. And it's definitely multi-column because there's categories of what the things are. It's a little bit more spreadsheety. Mm-hmm. But I would say most of my Omni Outliner documents are not multi-column. They're just a singular hierarchy. Mm-hmm. I don't use the styling stuff extensively. And that's an interesting thing because I kind of feel like I, I still use Omni Outliner. I still love it. And I I get why it went that way but there's a part of me that still likes the very old omni outliner i first used and fell in love with that didn't really have those capabilities or at least i think it didn't it was more you know it's like the difference between a plain text file and a styled text file right right? like you can't there is no command i for italic because it's just it's just text and that the semantic conception of the outline is just level one, level two, and it doesn't matter what typeface or font is in, it's just about the indentation. Mm-hmm. And I tend to think of my Omni Outliner files that way, and for the most part, when I make a new one, I just start with a template that I've set up with fonts that I like and, and sort of treat it that way. That makes sense. In my own use... I actually uh, use OPML files with Outliner, and those have no styling at all. It's kind of the plain text version of outlining. Hmm. But whenever I want to communicate with other people, I'm doing a document that's going to be shared and read by other people. Then I set up text styling rules and everything to make it kind of easier to follow. Yeah, I totally get it. And I think that I tend to go to the extremes where if I'm doing something that I want to design, I want the most intricate control I can possibly have. And if I'm doing something where it's just purely text, I don't want any style at all. You know, so if I'm writing, I'm writing in BB edit where it's literally just a text file, not no style at all. And I totally get why Omni Outliner has those features. And I'm blown away by some of the styled outlines that creative designers can make in the app. Right. It's Mm -hmm. they're beautiful. And it's like, and and functional, you know, that, yeah, that you can use those styles to convey. It's almost like you're making way more than an outline. You're making something that's more like a presentation and Mm -hmm. it conveys this information. But for me, the way I use it, it's really just sort of a hierarchy of ideas. So I'm assuming that even though there is other project planning software from Omni and from many other places, what you like about Omni Outliner is it has that tree structure and you can expand and collapse and it's otherwise free form to a certain extent right yeah that's exactly what i like about it and it's such a finicky funny i feel like nobody has ever fully explored how weird project planning slash we don't even know what to call it you know what i mean like a text editor is a text editor everybody knows what Mm bbn is an image editor is an image editor right so we talk about our pal gus's uh acorn you know what yeah. it is. You open an image. You can take any image. You open it. You're editing an image. You can scribble on it. You can draw it. You can it, it run filters on it. Something that you use for getting stuff done with lowercase, you know, not the GTD official system right. is so particular to everybody's mind that we've got like the most crazy variety of software for this stuff you know and Mm -hmm. i know i know the back history that what's now omni focus which is a super popular super successful app that tons of people put their entire lives in right like it is oh yeah there are a lot of people who are listening to you and me talk right now who are like yeah yeah my whole life is in omni focus i don't i wouldn't be able to function i wouldn't be able to get out of bed in the morning if omni focus stopped working (laughs) Totally get it. But I love the backstory that it started as an advanced Omni Outliner document. 
And it was like, yeah, start the, you know, take this template for an Omni outliner document and do X, Y, and Z and follow these rules. And you'll be doing the getting things done system with tags. And that to me is amazing. It was almost yeah. like the app was prototyped in a different app. It, yes. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and a big chunk of that was Apple script support too. Yep. Since Omni outliners had that since how long, but yeah. Yeah. What you could do. Yeah. 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 Kinkless GTD, it was called. Kinkless GTD. That's right. Yeah. Kinkless, right. Yeah. You know, and in some sense, it's less of an, it doesn't make sense that it would be an alternate app, but in some sense, that's sort of how Markdown came to be, where I, I made Markdown in BB Edit. And part of what let me sort of make it iteratively was the scriptability of BB Edit, you know, that I mm. could do these things and set up a shortcut where hitting, like for me personally, I mean, again, this isn't a standard shortcut at all, but if I hit command eight, it wraps whatever's the current selection is in asterisks because eight is the key with the asterisk above it. Uh-huh, right. And there were other things that I went through while making Markdown that I was like, ah, that's not a good idea. And I'd undo it and throw the script away. But being able to experiment like that is so essential to the creative process, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So I'm picturing uh, your development process. You have your text in one window and your actual script in yet another window in the same app. Yeah. Edit. <laughs> that's true. Which like, it's a testament to BB edit for one right. thing. Yeah. But except that when you, when sometimes do you ever do this, like I, BB edits one app where I do it sometimes in Safari, Safari or Chrome or whatever your browser is, is the app where I, I get tricked by this. Because web apps, when they're done really well, are very appy. And you think you can command tab to another thing, except you can't command tab because you what you really want to go to is another browser window. Right. But you think you're in a different app because what you're seeing on the screen is so compelling as its own application. And instead, you're, you're taken away. You really need like the command tilde thing to go to a different window. I kind of, I like web apps that are well done, but are still unmistakably web apps. I do too. Yes. I'm thinking of GitHub, right? I'm probably not going to make that yes. and have mistake there. It's just, it's such a web app and such a really good web app. Yeah. I think the same thing about Flickr too, especially back in the day, like when Flickr was sort of at its peak as like a way to share photos, it never tried to trick you into thinking you were in, in a native app. It was very, very webby all the way through and didn't try to hide the fact that it was really just a web page. Mm -hmm. So when did you uh, first start using Omni Outliner? Was it back when it came free with, was it Mac OS 10.2 or something? That's a good question. I probably started using it before that. Mm -hmm. Boy, it feels like a long time ago, but I remember like that era from 2001 to 2004 or so where I had two computers, one running classic Mac OS and one running Mac OS 10. And part of it was that there was stuff that still only worked on classic Mac OS. And part of it was that the early versions of Mac OS 10 were slow. Oh gosh. Yeah. And that's being charitable. They weren't terrible. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't like they shipped too soon. It was right to ship when they did. Cause you kind of mm-hmm. have to ship and we could do a whole podcast about, Hey, you got to ship, you know? Yeah. Right. But there was this new world. And while on the one hand, there were classic Mac apps and utilities that either never made it or hadn't made it yet to the native Mac OS X version, there was this other world of stuff on the Mac OS X side that had never existed on the classic side. And software from the Omni Group is at the top of that, right? The Omni Group had been writing software for Next Step from the dawn of time right the dawn of next time yeah the early 90s yeah and omni outliner was without question one of the first apps from this software company that i'd heard of and had heard nothing but good things of and tried so i i'm guessing i tried it and started using it before it was even included free Mm. or it wasn't i don't know if free is the right word it was you know obviously some kind of bundling deal between apple and omni but Sure, right. Uh, but it came with the operating system. Yeah. Which, of I'm, course, in those days, it was like 130 bucks to get the, Yeah, I'm uh, sure that, I, in fact, I guarantee you I used it before 10.2 because yeah. it was too obviously up my alley. Yeah. It was an exciting time as this new software was coming online, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I jumped on Omni Outliner right away. 
I'd been working at Useland Software, which was all about outlining mm-hmm. too. And after I left, I'm like, well, I need an outliner. Oh, look, here's this. And I think I launched it almost every single day in the past 15 years or whatever. One of the, just one of the very basic things that I just love about it. I mean, hierarchy is obvious, right? I mean, that's what outlining is. Everybody gets what the hierarchy means and you get the disclosure triangles that you can close part of the hierarchy and, and moving around. But to me, the big one is just the command apostrophe. Now you're in the note field for an item and being able to put a note on an item that isn't in the hierarchy. Like, and again, it's very personal. Like what, what belongs in a note on an item and what belongs as a sub item in the hierarchy. I can't explain it to you, but I know it in my gut right away. And, you know, mm-hmm. like, for example, it might just be a URL. It might just be, sure. hey, there is this item. I want to put it in my list. But then when I refer to it, I want to be able to click on this thing and open a web page because this web page explains everything about it. Where mm-hmm. do you put it? it? Command, apostrophe, paste. There it is. Close it up. And now I know it's safe and sound and I can get it whenever I want. That to me was a revelation. It was, and I, it's probably the first true outliner I ever really used. I wasn't really a big part. I, I'd heard and, and respected userland software on the classic side, but I sort of missed out on that whole boat because the time when I would have gotten on the Frontier wagon was when Frontier was still a commercial project and it was way too expensive for me. I was like 20 years old couldn't afford Mm -hmm. whatever it cost. I don't know, a couple hundred bucks or something like that. And then later on, when the web revolution came and Frontier was sort of redirected as a backend for web publishing, I was using different tools to do my own web publishing at the time. Mm. Even though I was still on the Mac and doing, you know, what now seems like crazy things like running a web browser on a Mac. (laughs) What was was the name of the browser we used or the, the web server we used? Uh, Webstar. Yeah, Webstar. Yeah. Yeah, I was into... I loved Webstar so much. I I was sort of good at hooking Webstar up to FileMaker and drawing fields out of FileMaker. I did that with Frontier as an intermediate step. So you could use Frontier to run CGIs from Webstar. And then um, I'd use the scripting language in Frontier to call into FileMaker and put stuff together. Crazy days. It was a blast. Oh my God. It was so much fun. I had a little little server in my apartment at the end of a 28.8 modem. Part of it makes me feel like we were crazy kids. And part of it though, it, I feel like we lost something was that Webstar and Frontier and those things of that era had a visual state. They were true Mac apps and you could look at them and see what was going on in them, right? Like mm-hmm. when yep. you run a web server now, and again, it's all very intimately familiar to me because last week I finished moving my professional business to a new server. It's like, I can't see my SQL running on daringfireball.net. Right. You know, there's, mm-hmm. and you know, you can log in in the terminal and SSH into the server and you can type commands to run queries and get results and see things, but it's command and response. There's no visual indication of the current state where you can just explore it. And the thing Mm -hmm. that was so genius about frontier was that what frontier called the object database, you could always just see it and there it is. And it's like an outline and Mm -hmm. here's everything that's in it. And there it is. And you could click a disclosure triangle and expand the hierarchy for one of the tables and there they all are. And if something changed, it would change right in front of your face. And to me, that's the way computers should work. And I feel like it's a little sad that we've lost some of that. Like in some ways we had better ideas in the nineties than we do now about the way stuff should work. Like too much stuff to me now works invisibly as opposed to visually. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think of other examples too, like, Hypercard or even small talk, right? You had that yep. in, that visual environment right there, yep. which was yep. tinkerable and discoverable. And, um, you know, your code would even be your runtime. And, yep. and that was pretty cool. Yeah, I would say Hypercard and small talk are both great examples. Hypercard being very, very Mac specific and small talk, 
you know, predating the Macintosh, but mm -hmm. yeah, the, the, the concepts behind it was that you had this visual representation of everything stored in the system. It was live. It was real. It wasn't like a, what would you call it? A, wasn't a veneer in front of it. It wasn't a, a shell. It was the real thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You were directly there. Yeah. Uh, good times. <laughs> Going back even further, you never used uh, more or uh, think tank or ready or any of the older titles. No, because the heyday of more and think tank was before I was on the Macintosh. Like, mm -hmm. and uh, so I was in high school. I graduated in 1991. And in the late 80s, I've told this story many times before, and I'll try to keep it short, but <laughs> I, I grew up and my parents wouldn't buy me a computer and I wanted one. Well, you're never going to make a living at it, John. Right. <laughs> well, it, it's funny because a lot of my friends had computers. And so I had friends who had a Commodore 64. My friend Joey had an Apple IIe. Joey was the one who I tried to become really good friends with because he had the Apple. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> and most of my friends who wanted computers and couldn't get one, it, they were expensive. And, you know, a lot of people's parents were like, we're not going to spend all this money on a computer. You're never going to use it. Or you're only going to use it to play games or something like that. And you already have an Atari 2600. So forget it. My parents wouldn't buy me a computer because they said, if we buy you a computer, you're never going to leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> and I, right. I was so mad at them. I was like, that's, <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> like we're going to, I guarantee you however much it costs to buy me an Apple computer or whatever computer, I'll take whatever computer you'll buy me. We'll get every penny we can get out of it. And they were like, we don't care. We're, we're worried that you'll never leave. You're not going to have any life. <laughs> and in hindsight, and, you know, I've had so many years now where I've gotten to spend all day, every day in front of computer. I, I, you know, I can't complain that I haven't spent a long enough number of hours in front of a computer, right? right. At this point in 2019, I have to admit they might have been right, even though yes. at the time I really thought they were wrong. Yeah. But even in school, so I took a, I forget if it was 11th or 12th grade. I think it was probably 12th grade. And I went to a public high school, but it was really small. We had like a graduating class of only like 71 kids, but we had a really good computer teacher. Her name was Mrs. Starr, S-T-A-R-R, -R, and was a really good teacher. And we had like a programming team. We were good enough. We actually took a trip. I, you know, I was in the suburbs of Pennsylvania, but I think it was my senior year, our computer programming team qualified to go to houston texas which was super exciting to me wow we, my, yeah. we didn't really travel much and we went there and we went and while we were there we went to see a houston astros game in the old astrodome it was great it was great fun uh programming like in mostly in basic at the time oh yeah but when given the choice even in like 1990 91 i chose to use like an apple II gs instead of a mac we had one mac in mm. the lab and I was intrigued by it. I was a super intrigued by HyperCard in particular, but I was unfortunately in my youth erroneously biased against the black and white screen. And I thought this oh, sure. is a really fascinating machine. I'm fascinating by the system that seems so consistent around it, around various apps. But yeah, I'll do all my work on the Apple II GS. Well, and the Macs in those days, you couldn't sit down and just start writing some code. Mm -hmm. you know, and it uh, seemed a little deep, weird to me. It seemed to me yeah. like when you turn a computer on, you should be able to start writing code. <laughs> That's the first <laughs> yeah, thing absolutely. you should be able to do. Yeah, darn right. Because, well, you probably need to. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're tired of playing Lemonade Stand, and now you need to write a game. <laughs> so, yeah, but that, therefore, I missed the heyday of more and Think Tank. Because... Mm -hmm. Then when I, I became a dedicated, diehard, nonstop, every single day since Mac user in 1991, when I went to Drexel University and Drexel at the time had a very progressive at the time program where every student was required not to own a Macintosh, but to have access to a Macintosh. Mm -hmm. And all that really meant was that you were supposed to buy one if you could. And if you couldn't, you'd go to the computer lab where if you had a student ID card, you could sit down in front of a Mac. So basically. You either had to buy a Mac or you had to buy a stack of floppy disks that you would take to the computer lab. And then ever since I've been a diehard Mac user, but by that time, I kind of think like more and think tanks. Hey, day was over. 
And if I'm wrong, I, yeah, just, I think so too. You know, yeah. it was, that, they were more of like a system six, system five era eighties thing than a system seven, early nineties thing. Yeah. I think by the time Symantec acquired more like 89, maybe. Yeah. That was kind yeah. of the end. Yeah. And yeah, when Symantec acquired stuff, it usually went downhill pretty quickly. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> Poor Symantec. Where are they now? I feel like the only thing that held out for a while were the Think developer tools, right? Think oh, Pascal yeah, right. mm-hmm. and uh, Think C. And it was almost like despite Semantic's terrible leadership, it was because they were so essential to the community that they... They, they, they had to exist. Yeah, yeah for a, a, as long as they could. Yeah, They had like an immune system based on how desperately developers really loved those developer environments i spent and it costs a pretty penny too i mean 350 bucks maybe or more well that's you know that was c plus plus that was see now that's where being a student at drexel was an enormous it was just wonderful they had a university-wide site license to both so Mm, there you go i don't even know what they cost i knew that they were expensive everything it's like the kids today you can't imagine how everything was super expensive like yeah buying a C developer tool just to, to write yeah. like hello world in the C programming language. It was, yeah, it was like $400. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> they did come with amazing documentation that was printed in a real oh, book. Printed, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I think there were two books that came with my yeah. thing, but yeah. it, at Drexel, you yeah. not only got like a site license so that you go down to the lab and like get a copy of it on a floppy disk, but you could get like the books. <laughs> like it was, nice. it was a fantastic deal. Yeah, really. So I had think C and think Pascal, but totally legally, no, no piracy involved, but it was all thanks to the site licensing at Drexel. That's awesome. Think C, Symantec C, I think it was, I can't remember if it had changed its name yet. It was how I got into computer programming as an adult. Hmm. So I had done a bunch of my Apple II plus as a kid and then went like almost 10 years without hardly touching computers at all. Didn't have one in college, got out of college, didn't have one. They were too expensive. Then around my mid-20s, I was tired of like bussing tables and all those kind of crappy jobs. And I thought to myself, well, I used to be able to program. I wonder if I could pick it up again and if there's any money in it. So the first thing it was to convince my dad to buy me Think C, which he did. Didn't take any convincing, hardly. And we bought the cheapest Mac we could buy. The 90 day same as cash deal from Silo. And we managed Silo. to pay it off. Yeah. Silo. That's right. We have to explain Silo. We have to take a Silo moment. Silo was Silo was Best well, Buy before it was before Best yeah. Buy. Best Buy put Silo out of business. But right. Silo was so low rent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if you think going into Best Buy is sort of cheesy, you have no oh, idea man. what going into Silo was like. But Silo is you know, 70s, 80s, up to uh, some the it. 90s. That was the thing. Yeah, yeah I loved it. I That's still it. remember the commercials um, was always, Silo's having a sale. A what? A sale. Silo's having a sale. Just over and over and over. <laughs> I bought a little desktop hi-fi CD player system from JVC, a JVC brand CD player. And I am 100% guarantee you Bet my house on it. We bought it at Silo to use in college. It was like my second mm-hmm. or third year of college. And I had that for years afterwards. So like all of the music I listened to in the 90s, all of the CDs were all played on that system. And it never broke, never had a glitch, never made a mistake. But I know I bought it at Silo. And yes, I... Of course. <laughs> And I, it, they were probably having a sale. Well, they were probably having a sale. And I just remember being there with my dad. And it was the, the difference with Best Buy is you really had to always, no matter what you were buying, you had to deal with a salesperson. And mm. the, the guy really wanted me to buy an extended warranty. Yes, <laughs> as always. Yeah. But it was like a $150 CD player. Why in the world would I buy a $30 extended warranty? It's only $150. <laughs> Mm-hmm. like i don't and it was like we couldn't get out the door it was like we could not it was like no i do not want the extended warranties like you really do want the extended warranty it's like no i yeah. really don't like seriously 
I, you know, you know, and you know me, I'm friendly. I'm a raconteur. I'm not, yeah. I'm not trying to be a jerk to you. I, and I totally get it that you're on commission and you make money on the extended warranty. I don't want to be a jerk to you. I'm just telling you, there's nothing you can say or do to get me to buy the extended warranty. I would just like to check out and I've drugged my dad here because he's willing to pay for this. <laughs> let my dad pay for this and let me get out. I really want to have a CD player. And the guy's like, I think you want the extended warranty. It's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Silo. All right. Oh, so you got, got a Mac yeah. on 90 days, same got as cash. 90 days, same as cash. But then here's the thing. They still charged us for the interest. So then Sheila was on the <laughs> phone multiple times, writing letters, paper letters to them, which we printed out on. We also bought a little style writer printer. I had, I probably you know, had the same and, one. Style and writer. we finally got our rebate after, I don't know how hard she worked, but it was about a $90 rebate for the interest. But we did get it. We, we finally defeated Silo. And a little while later, they went out of business. Not to this day, I wonder, was it that 90 bucks? <laughs> That's so funny. You know what's great, though? And I think it ties into the discussion of Omni Outliner. Like, to me, it is about visualizing a, a complex hierarchy of stuff that's in your brain. That in theory, I feel like if I were smarter and my brain had more RAM, right? I would be able to do this without the aid of software. I would just be able to keep it in my head, but I can't. So I need to put it down somewhere. But when I put it down, I need to be able to see the organization. That to me was mm -hmm. the genius. And in a way that was the genius of the Think Pascal and Think C programming systems was that they, I don't know if they invented it. Maybe that's not quite fair, but at least in my experience, they invented the idea of the project file to manage the whole thing. And what was the project file? It was an outline, mm -hmm. right? It was like you could organize a multi-source file C or Pascal program, a program that was complicated enough that you, you know, maybe you had a separate file for the print code and you had a separate file for the, all the IO to the file system. You could organize those files in folders in the project window. And it was an outline. And then you could just collapse yeah. the whole part that you didn't need to hide it and organize it that way. And that made more complex programming click for me in a way that I never would have gotten only using the command line and make files like make files to me were always just like, I, I have no idea how this works. I, somebody would tell me what to paste at the command line. And I would do it and it worked. I never understood why it worked. It was, it might as well have just been a random series of characters. Whereas <laughs> using the project files in the think developer tools, I was like, Oh, I see. Here's the organization. Oh, there's a little check mark next to everything that's already been compiled. Only this thing will be compiled if I do a build right now, because it's the only one with changes, a visual state before you do anything. Right. Yep. I've got a few listener questions for you. I'm not going to go through all of them because I think we covered actually some of them. But Rose Orchard asks, um, given that uh, you and I both do appreciate AppleScript, have you done any scripting with Omni Outliner or used on Omni Automation with it? No. No need? Uh, yeah, very short answer. And it's because for whatever reason, I've never had an itch to scratch that would require scripting it. And that's what I always say to people when they want to learn programming is you've got to have a problem first, at least for me, everything I've ever learned programming wise was there was something I wished that I could do. And I figured out I could do it if I learned how to program X, Y, and Z, whether it's Perl or Apple script or, you know, even going to C or something like that. But like, just, I, I've never needed it with Omni Outliner. I'm glad it's there. And I know that it's there. And I know, and I have followed along remotely that you guys have added automation that works across Mac and iOS, which is a huge mm -hmm. thing for me thinking about like, Hey, how am I going to spend the rest of my life as iOS becomes more and more important? Super happy that it's there, but I've never needed to dug into it because I've never personally had a problem where I needed to solve it. Cool. So Alex Nonamacher. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. Sorry, Alex. Asks, does tab indent or move to the next text field? Ah, uh, that's a, such a great question. I say in an outline, it moves to the next text field. 
Mm. And you just know which other keyboard shortcuts you use for indenting and outdenting code. You ever watch the uh, McLaughlin report? Yes. Loved it. Remember how sometimes he would say, wrong. Yes. <laughs> I just felt like doing that. So you think, you think Tom I'm a tab indent indenter. Or? Yeah. And I, I understand both sides and I think it's a preference in the app, but uh, yeah, I've been a tab indenter since the nineties and so I still expect it to work that way. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a command bracketer mm-hmm. and it's right. because I have, it goes back to a question from half an hour ago of, do I have some Omni outline files with multiple columns? You know, right, sure. And, and so there are some that I have that are a little bit more spreadsheety. And then it's funny because I, I do all my spreadsheets now in numbers. I, I haven't used Excel in years and I have nothing but good things to say about Excel. I think Excel is probably the best app Microsoft has ever made. Again, could be a whole separate podcast. But the fact that Excel isn't an outline has always driven me nuts. Always. Even before mm-hmm. I really knew that I liked outliners, the fact that you can't sort of collapse groups together you, you can't hierarchy it's always driven me nuts so yeah I, but i like tab to go to the next field because sometimes i have a spreadsheety like outline and i really do want to yeah. just go across the row rather than in, indent it down that's a good point for me personally i rarely use multiple columns but um yeah. in that case if i did i would expect tab to move to the next one it's a delicate mad when it indents yeah yeah it's a delicate balance that if you don't really think about the intricacies of ui design you don't appreciate how well done Omni Outliner is that there's a difference between selecting the text within a row and selecting the row itself. And the fact that if you want to do, you know how you can like just select a word and then tap and hold on it and drag the text just to make a text clipping that you drag without actually using copy and paste. You can do that as you would expect in any proper Mac app in Omni Outliner. But if you click Mm -hmm. on the right place, you can just drag the whole row up and down. Like the fact that Omni Outliner threads that needle is a lot of complicated thought into where you can click and what you can do. And so for me, it's like, I don't even think about it. I just know when tapping tab is going to do X and when it's going to do Y. Yeah. So, um, Person here at Omni asks a non-outliner related question. Uh, Michelle Nee, a software test pilot, asks, how much do you enjoy interviewing Air Force One and that other guy at WWDC? Now, I was actually talking to her in person. Neither of us could remember their names. So, <laughs> But I figured, you know, that's a good question. How much is that interview that evening personally fun for you? Surely there's some stress, but. It's no fun at all. It is terrible. It is. It, it reminds me, I, I believe it's a Mark Twain quote. <laughs> it's a Mark Twain quote. I believe that the classics and you know, it, it's as true today as it was in 1890 when he probably said it, but the classics are books that everyone wants to have read and no one wants to read. Mm-hmm, right. Yeah. <laughs> it is the privilege of a lifetime. I am in terms of what I, I you know, I'm more or less doing as a career what I really wanted to do. And it's a miracle to me that it's worked out that I can do it, that I don't have to work for some other company and be an employee and have an editor who I report to and submit ideas to. I just write what I want to write when I want to write it on my own schedule and answer to nobody. Because if I had to answer to somebody, every time I've ever had a job where I did have to answer to somebody, I've gotten fired. <laughs> and on, on, for good reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so where I want to be, and if you would have told me, you know, 20 years ago, you know, or you know, let's just say to 2002 when I started during Fireball, so close to 20 years ago, but not quite, that by 2019, when WWDC happens, it'll be an annual tradition where you get to interview Phil Schiller and, you know, uh, Craig Federighi wouldn't have been a name at the time, but you know, uh, you know, the equivalent role, of, yeah, the equivalent of Avi Devanian, or you know, people at that level in Apple's corporate hierarchy on stage in front of a thousand people and record it and have you know a hundred thousand people download and listen to it or watch it on video or something like that. I would have thought that's fantastic. That's exactly where I want to be. It is a tremendous privilege. I was like, it feels like something I. Even back then, I would think that's something I could do. That's something I might be good at. 
that's something that at least the people who I am targeting with my writing and work, the, the people who I think enjoy what I do, I think they would enjoy it if I did it. But when it comes down to do it, I don't enjoy it at all because it's too stressful and I worry mm. too much. And then as soon as it's over, and so far, fingers crossed, knock on wood, everyone has turned out fine. As soon as it's over and it's like, hey, I think that was good. Then I feel fantastic. I feel, yeah, right. you know, and maybe like people who run marathons feel the same way. We all have friends who, who do distance running. And I know <laughs> that some of them really, they actually enjoy the grind of it. I would not, but maybe there's some people who distance running who dread the actual grind of doing it. But then once they cross the finish line, they have this sense of accomplishment and feel so great. And that is what gets you there. Like, how do you right. go from mile 11 to mile 21? It's that idea of, well, if I get there to the end and I get to the finish line or 22, whatever, I don't even know how long a marathon is. 20 yeah, some that, miles. 26. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Whatever it is. It, it's the idea, I, in my mind, at least doing those live shows, it is the idea of being done with the show and mm -hmm. feeling like, hey, I asked good questions and we did it in a reasonable amount of time and people laughed when I thought maybe they should laugh and there were unexpected moments and answers that I never would have anticipated that people seemed to enjoy and get and therefore the whole thing didn't feel scripted and stilted. All of it is after the finish line. Before the finish line, it's nothing but absolute misery. And you, you know, huh. this was sort of a setup because you and I see each other at WWC and you know how miserable I am. Like <laughs> post keynote until my show, I am mm -hmm. the most miserable SOB, non raconteur <laughs> you will ever meet. Uh, I can't even eat. <laughs> That's true. Um, you go out for dinner after your show, typically, yeah. right? Yeah, right. Because yeah, there's no eating beforehand. Yeah, <laughs> and I like we finish and we go back and there's you know and like I said, knock on wood. Hopefully, it'll always be the same. There's always like, hey, that was great, and you know, it's not always the same people. You know, like Greg Joswiak has been on and he hadn't done it before, or Mike Rockwell, Apple's head of AR stuff, and he had never done anything quite like it. And I think he was really nervous, and I wanted to make sure he was comfortable on stage, but he was fantastic. He was yeah, absolutely yeah. fantastic. And then we go back and it's like all of us sort of have this like, hey, we're done. We're free. It was it worked out great. That was great. And it's like high fives and, and everybody's laughing. And then all of a sudden I realize, oh, my God, I'm famished. <laughs> right. Your your body wakes back up. Yeah. Sends signals. Yeah. All of a sudden my stomach is like, hey, I checked out to do you a favor for a while. Uh, but uh, right. yeah, you're you're like uh, ready to go into a coma because you haven't eaten in a day. And it must be like 9 p.m. or something by that time. And yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. And I'm there enough, you know, a couple of days. So I'm on California time. But yeah, I'm picturing that moment when you've had two before dinner drinks and the food hasn't arrived yet. That's when it starts to get dicey. Yeah. It's, and you know what? And I'm always a little careful about that uh, mm. because I know I have an empty stomach. And so I, t I typically like, you know, I enjoy a cocktail as much as the next fellow. But usually like after my show, I will stick to just drinking like, a nice cold beer just mm, because smart. it feels like a really bad idea to pour a martini into an empty stomach. <laughs> uh, a martini needs, you know, like, uh, you know, like some bread or something in there. You know, you got to, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Got to have a base to build on. They always say don't fill up on bread, but I'm like, but I'm going to have all these martinis. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to need to fill up on bread. <laughs> yeah. I'm not filling up. I'm just soaking up a martini. It doesn't count. It's responsible. Yeah. Jeez. So I'll do one last listener question. It's from our beloved friend, Guy English. Oh, my God. And I'm going to edit it slightly because this is a PG rated. Um, he says, you're kidding me with this being organized thing, right? <laughs> uh, and there may not be a response to that. We just had to let Guy have his word, I think. <laughs> you know what? My computer is so much more organized than like my physical space. and it you know, like my physical desktop in my office is always a mess. It's actually not right now. It's actually cleaner than it will ever be and ever has been in my life because we're doing some renovations at the house. And so my office is actually completely empty and all of my stuff is boxed up here in the basement. <laughs> so it's actually pretty neat, but my computer's always been pretty organized and I've never been a messy desktop person. Are you? 
Uh, I'm organized. Yeah. And I, I will have things on my desktop like for 15 minutes or whatever as I'm using them and then they go away. So speaking of, of mutual friends, our friend Jim Korea, who's uh Omni focus developer and mm-hmm. I've known since like, I don't know the nineties cause he used to work at Barebone software at BB edit and a good friend. I remember the first time I saw his desktop, <laughs> he's got like, 20,000 files on his desktop, but he's one of the <laughs> smartest people I've ever met. And it yeah. does the most organized, meticulous development work you could ever want. <laughs> yeah. He's got 10,000 files on his desktop. I, I was, he still does that. I haven't looked at his computer. So yeah, it was, wow. it was like, he's like, you know, Jimmy, he's like, don't look at it. <laughs> so yeah, no, my Omni outliner ideas are Super well organized. Like I have a hundred percent confidence that anything I've ever put in Omni Outliner, I could find it at a moment's notice from any computer anywhere in the world because I use for my Omni Outliner stuff, it's all in Dropbox slash documents slash Omni Outliner. Okay. I'm, you know, like a lot of people kind of eyeing moving away from Dropbox and going all in on iCloud. And I know that Omni Outliner works great with iCloud. So there's multiple options, which I think is great because then if you ever sour on one, you can go somewhere else. But I know that they're all for now and for many years have all been in Dropbox slash documents slash Omni Outliner. All of them are there and I feel great about it. And they're all sensibly named so that I could suffer some sort of brain injury and still be able to find them. You know, Mm. one day Jonas will have to go through all your old outlines and. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> no, I but I sort of feel like that's the beauty of an outliner and the idea of outlining is it even if you're not the sort of person who is naturally organized, and maybe I'm not, the nature of outlining is that it helps you organize. It organizes for you, right? Yeah. The app itself is sort of like a little helper to help you keep your ideas neat and orderly and in in a logical order. Well, I think on that note. We'll remind people that, hey, if you want to get organized, get an outliner. You heard it from John. Yeah. And we'll call, call a halt to this recording. So thank you, John. How can people find you on the web? Well, uh, I can think of two good ways. All right. Go to my website at daringfireball.net. You could, if you wanted to, if you like what you see there, I have feeds that you could subscribe to in a feed reader like Net Newswire which is back mm, and we haven't talked grades. about somehow haven't <laughs> talked about uh, it's a that's a fantastic way to keep up to date with what I write at Daring Fireball and then on Twitter you can follow me at Gruber but that's really a lot of nonsense for them yeah <laughs> the website's the good one Daring Fireball yeah, yeah. and the Twitter and is you have nonsense. a podcast I hear yeah um, the talk show on talk but show. you can you yeah. can stay up to date you don't have to go anywhere else you could just go to daringfireball.net and you can find and it's it right there. there that's so easy Cool. It's almost like an outline, like one level <laughs> under the under the top level <laughs> at Daring Fireball is the talk show. There you go. Level two heading the talk show. Well, I'd also like to thank our intrepid producer, Mark Bosco. Say hello, Mark. Hello, Mark. And especially, I want to thank you for listening. Thank you. Music. Music.